All right, again, tonight is parent night. Parents, thanks for coming. Thanks for uh, engaging with us, for spending uh, a night with us and kind of seeing what we're all about and, and, and what we do. And so we're thankful that you are here, uh, each and one of you. And um, we usually do parent nights once in the fall and once in the spring. And so come back in the springtime. Students, if your parents aren't here tonight, encourage them to come in the springtime to our parent night um, and then. And so, yeah, I, I just pray that tonight would be an encouragement to you guys as well as students and everyone here and that we would just, um, yeah, feel more equipped to just live on mission for the gospel. Tonight is the start of our new teaching series, Living as God Intended, as we uh learn how to know and apply the gospel in our lives. And Dave Wolf is going to teach on that. He approached me uh, earlier this semester and was just like, hey, uh, I have something on my heart content that we've gone through as a church last year. Uh, would would you be willing or do you think students would uh, learn need to learn and grow and how to utilize the gospel in their everyday lives? And I was like, yes, absolutely. Please come and teach us um, and so for students, we've just come out of this teaching series on apologetics of how we can know for sure that, one, God's real, God loves us, and Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. We've just uh, ended that apologetics series, Is God Just a Human Invention? And so here it makes sense to go from that series to learn to grow in the gospel and understanding of what is the gospel and how to live that out in our everyday life. And so I um, am looking forward to the next few weeks that Dave is going to be teaching uh, this content. So if you would please welcome up Pastor Dave Wolf. And then we're going to do a little switcheroo uh, computer-wise as he uh, connects. And so because he's got slides that he's going to share. And so if you would give us just a quick moment. Thank you for the one of you that's out there. Appreciate that. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I get really excited when it comes to talking about the gospel and its impact on all of life. As you're in your groups, we're going to start off with this. So you've got two to three minutes in your groups to start off with trying to answer these questions or discussing these questions. What would you say, if the, what, what would you say is the primary message of Christianity? Okay, or what would you think about Christianity is all about? So I want you to take two or three minutes at your table right now discussing what would you say is the primary message of Christianity. Go. You got two to three minutes. Purpose of the note cards are if you have questions, we're doing Q and we're doing Q and A, the very last session on October no, not October, December tenth, and we'll uh, answer those questions. So if a question pops up at all while you're discussing or all those things, write it down, we'll collect them, we'll seek to answer those questions uh, on December 10th. Go. Okay, so real quick, what, what, when you think about the primary message of Christianity or what do you think Christianity is all about, what are some things that were discussed at your table? Real quick. Love God, love others. Okay, good. What else? Yes. Okay. Your relationship through Christ alone and not through external. Good. Okay, we've sinned and we've need, we, and we need Christ. Good. What else? Anything? Hope. Okay, hope from what? Okay, to be... Okay, good. Yes, back in the back table. Very good. Jesus is God. Okay. Good. 
some very good answers, okay? Because understanding and answering this question about the importance of the gospel will set the stage for your belief in, in, in all of life. A.W. Tozer says it this way, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. Okay? And the heart of Christianity is the gospel. The heart of Christianity is the good news. That's what gospel means. It means good news. Why is it good news to us? Okay? It's good news for what? And that's what we're going to learn about tonight and talk about tonight. Okay? So the importance of the gospel. Three important Ps when it comes to the gospel. The first is that the gospel is primary. If you don't understand the gospel and you don't understand how, what the gospel uh, through Christ Jesus has done uh, in you and to you and doing through you, right? And, and, and life is just about the <clears throat> getting through life or being religious and being moral and all those kind of things. The gospel is primary. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, the Apostle Paul says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with, with the scripture. So the gospel is primary. The second thing is that the gospel is powerful, right? We live in a world that looks for all these different things to change us, to make us different people, to make us significant, to give us identity, right? The only thing that is all powerful is the good news of Jesus Christ, and we'll talk about that more in detail. Paul writes in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. That word power is the same word that's used for dynamite. Okay? Dunamis, right? You guys know what dynamite does? Boom! Right? Okay? Causes lots of destruction. Poor Finn. He's like, I was trying to sleep, but no longer, right? Okay? It's the power of God for what? For salvation. Salvation from what? Our sin and death, and God's wrath and condemnation. The third is that the gospel is profound. That word profound means that we enter deeply into subjects of thought or knowledge. It's deep insight and understanding. 1 Peter 1.12 says it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that, that have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now listen to this line. Things into which angels long to look. Right? The good news of Jesus Christ. Angels can't completely understand that because they're not sinful beings. Right? They don't need to be delivered. You and I need to be delivered. Okay? So the gospel is profound, deeply understanding. And so C.J. Mahaney says it this way. If there's anything in life that we should be passionate about, it's the gospel. And I don't mean passionate only about sharing it with others. I mean passionate about thinking about it, dwelling on it, rejoicing in it, allowing it to color the way that we look at the world. And only one thing can be of first importance to each of us, and only the gospel ought to be. The gospel is what makes us right with God. The gospel is what impacts us for all of life. So what I want you to do at your table, you have your Bibles. I want you to take your Bibles. You have three passages up on the screen. John 3, 16 and 17, Romans 3, 23, and Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. I want you to read through those verses for the next couple minutes. 
And in your groups, I want you to write down two to three key points that summarize these passages. Okay, what are some key points that emerge? Go ahead. Okay, so let's talk about these passages of Scripture real quick. So here's the key, right? We're going to be very interactive. I'm not just going to get up here and talk a lot. We're setting the stage for the, the four weeks that we're together. So this is why we're starting off with the gospel as being absolutely primary, and then we'll dig deeper into its purpose. But today we're talking about the power of the gospel. So what at your tables are two to three things that you found in John 3.16? Yes. Okay, God loves and sent a Savior. Good. What else? We're in need of a Savior. Where do we see that in John 3.16? Okay, so that we will not perish. Okay, we're going to talk about that. Perish from what? Okay, good. How about Romans 3.23? Two to three things from Romans 3.23. What's that? Everyone is a sinner, which means the minute you are born into this world, you are automatically opposed to God, right? There's nobody good in this life. You can act good, but with the motives and the, and the desires and the worship of our heart, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. What else? Good. Anything else in Romans 3.23? How about Romans, or how about Ephesians 2, 8 through 10? Okay, God's grace is free. What is God's grace? Define it for me. We throw that word around a lot in Christian circles. What does grace mean? Yes, Matt. Okay, so help me understand that. Unmerited favor. What does that mean? Okay, I don't deserve the love of God, right? It's undeserved, right? I deserve death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So by grace we've been saved. What else? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We are his masterpiece. Oftentimes people take Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and they focus on, for by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one could boast. And then it goes on in verse 10, which is a very key verse to add on, is for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it tonight. We're going to just briefly talk, but there is the power of the gospel, there's the purpose of the gospel. Okay, the power of the gospel, we're going to spend a lot of time talking tonight. The purpose of the gospel is what this is talking about, that God has saved us not just to get us out of hell, not just to get our ticket punched so that we get a free uh, stay-out-of-hell jail card, right? Or stay-out-of-hell card, right? He saved us so that you and I, and you're going to hear us talk about this a lot, Kent and I, in the next several sessions, uh, when we talk about this, is that God created us for good works, so that we can be a display of what he has done in us and what he's done through us, okay? So good news for everyday life, right? The gospel makes Christianity unique among all religions. If you talk to any other religion in this world, what is it about? It's about works. It's something I have to do. Right? If I can just be good enough, if I can just be smart enough, if I can just be somebody, if I can just do enough good, 
right? If you look at the religion of Islam, Islam is like a scale. If you can be 51% righteous, over 49% righteous, then you're going to please Allah. So every other religion in this life is about what I do. I was thinking about this a lot this week, okay? The message of the gospel makes Christianity fundamentally different, okay? It's what Jesus has done on my behalf. That's really, really important to understand tonight. It's what Jesus has done on my behalf and how that makes the gospel of Christianity different, the good news of Jesus different. And so three key points for us to understand that makes Christianity different than any other religion is that Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience to God. Okay, Adam and Eve are put in the garden. God tells them, do not eat of the fruit of the tree. Adam and Eve do not believe God's word and they sin. And then God says, you know what? You will surely die, but I'm promising you that I'm going to send you a Savior. I'm going to promise you that there's going to be a perfect sacrifice that's going to take your place and take my place. But you read all throughout the Old Testament that he institute what's called the sacrificial system. And so the Israelites... Right, had to take these animals that were clean, without blemish, that they, there was nothing wrong with them, and they had to spill the blood. And blood was needed as an act of faith from that person offered to God to say, right, that I believe your word. And so Jesus then comes to the earth. He lives and is a perfect sacrifice for us. He was perfectly pleasing to God. He was absolutely faithful. He was entirely obedient. And when I put faith in him, I'm asking God to deal with me, not according to my performance in life, listen everybody, but according to Jesus' performance on my behalf. That is really important to understand tonight. It's not my obedience, it's not my performance, it's the performance of Jesus. It required a perfect, obedient sacrifice, and that's who he was. And so we put it on Jesus. God no longer considers me a rebel against him, but treats me as a dearly beloved son. Because of who? Jesus. Nothing you and I could ever do, ever say, ever work for would be perfectly obedient to save us from the wrath of God. The second thing that we need to understand is that Jesus died as a perfect substitute, taking the just penalty against my sin. We don't like to talk about this in Christian circles, but you have to understand this. God is a holy God. He hates sin. He hates it. And therefore, it must be dealt with. And his wrath is against sin. He is a holy God, and he cannot let sin go. And the beautiful thing about it is, you and I deserve that wrath. You and I deserve the condemnation of God. You and I deserve death. You and I deserve hell. But Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for us. He shed his blood on the cross and took the punishment that was reserved for us. The father turned his son on the back, or turned his back on his son. We just sung about that. The father turns his face away. But guess what? He does that, that when you and I put my faith and trust in Christ Jesus, he never turns his face away from us. 
His blood perfectly pays for every sin, young person and adult in this room, that we've committed, that we will commit today, and every sin that we will commit in the future. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are no longer guilty before God, but we have been made right with God. We've been justified. Why? Because Jesus satisfied the the, the penalty of my sin. The third thing is that Jesus rose from the dead and defeated sin, death, and hell. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. The popes are dead. Every single religious leader is dead. Do you realize that today? Uh, Mormonism, who is that? That's uh, Joseph Smith, dead. Right? Every single religious leader that people trust in for their salvation is dead, except for our Savior. Jesus rose from the grave. He is alive today, and he promises to take control of my heart and my life by living in me with his Spirit, And he ascends to the right hand of the Father and he sends his Holy Spirit to live in us and he empowers us for growth and character, gifting us for ministry in the world and leading us into all truth. And by faith in him, see this is the beauty of the gospel. It's not just that I'm saved from something, but I'm saved for something. And so Jesus rose from the dead and defeated sin, death, and hell. And we'll talk about that in just a few moments, excuse me, in more detail. So here's the difference. I want you to look at this so it's tough to see. I'm sorry. Okay? But the difference between religion and gospel. If you walk up to somebody and you say to them, oh, are you religious? And they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm religious. Right? Religion is mostly spoken of in the negative. You'll see it in positive in the scripture in one verse in James. It says this is true religion, loving orphans and widows. But the difference between religion and gospel that I want you to grasp tonight The first one is religion. The primary message is that salvation is earned based on what you do for God. Man, if I can just do this for God, if I can just be good, if I can just... mm. But the gospel says that salvation is a free gift based on what God has done for you. Again, go back to Jesus. Jesus was perfectly obedient. Jesus shed his blood to cover our sin. Jesus rose again in power over sin and death so that salvation is now a free gift of God based on what he has done for us. Religion, obedience obedience means I begrudgingly obey God because I have to earn his acceptance. And in essence, I resent God. Right? I begrudgingly obey God. That word begrudgingly is like, okay, I'll do it, but man, I'm not going to, right? It's like when your mom goes and asks you to clean up the bathroom. Fine, I'll go clean up the bathroom, right? You begrudgingly do it, or go make your bed. Oh, fine, right? Religion is begrudgingly obeying God because I have to earn his acceptance. But the gospel says I gladly obey God because I have freely received his acceptance. I delight in honoring God. See, there's a difference. When I understand who God is and when I understand what God has done for me in Christ Jesus, as we just read in John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
You know, there was a movie out several years ago about a guy who worked on a train, uh, train uh, bridge. And one day he brought his kid to work with him, right? And uh, so the father's out doing some work, and the kid goes and, he's, and he falls into this area in the train bridge where all of a sudden in the distance this train is coming, right? And the, 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 the father has to make a decision, am I going to close the bridge and kill my son? Right? It's a movie, I can't remember the name of the movie, but am I going to close the bridge and kill my son, or am I going to leave my son alone and let the train just crash into the river, Right? And in the movie, this father lowers the bridge, his son is crushed to death, all that kind of stuff. Well, you know what? I'll be honest, I'll be honest with you. I would have never lowered that bridge. I'm not letting my child die. You say, boy, that's pretty selfish. Well, that's my child. I'm not letting my child die. Right? The opposite picture is God willingly gives his son to take your place and to take mine. And so we should delight in honoring God when we realize what he's done. Relationship with God is I'm always uncertain about my right standing before God because I never know if I've ever done enough to please God. The result is anxiety and insecurity and I, I fear God. Any of you struggle with that? You know, when I was your age and even younger, I was asking Jesus to save me a hundred times a day. Because <laughs> I thought every time I sinned, I needed to ask him for salvation. Okay? But the gospel says I'm always certain of my right standing before God because Jesus has already done enough for God to be pleased with me. And the result is peace and security. I love God. What is your view of self? In religion, my view, self-view is constantly changing because it is based on how well I do at my, any given moment. When I do poorly, I'm despondent, and when I do well, I'm prideful. And my self-view in the gospel always stays grounded in the fact that my value is based on what Jesus has already done for me. And when I do poorly, I'm humbled because I'm reminded of my need for a Savior, but I am not despondent because I have an all-sufficient Savior. When I do well, I am grateful because God is at work in my life, but I am not prideful because it is more God's work than my work. And the last one, when it comes to religion, what is my view of others? Is my identity is based on what I accomplish and how moral I am, and I judge people who are worse than me, and I'm jealous of people who are better than me. Anybody struggle with that? And in the gospel, my identity is based on what Jesus has accomplished for me and how moral he was. And I sympathize with people who are worse than me because I need the Savior just as much as they do. And I celebrate those who are better than me because their lives honor the Savior and I love. You know, about 12 years ago, I was going through a rough period in my life. I would call it a dark night of the soul. I deal with a lot of chronic illness in my life. I never feel good. I'm just constantly chronically ill. And about 12 years ago, I got addicted to prescription drugs and was abusing them pretty bad because I wanted to get away, wanted to escape. 
I was in pastoral ministry. I was trying to be this great pastor. I was like, oh, Lord, I'm trying, I'm trying, and I'm just crashing, and I'm burning. And prior to that time, I would look at somebody who had drug addiction issues or alcohol issues, and I would be so prideful, and I would be so arrogant, being like, come on, just get your act together. And then I went through that season in my life for about six months. And by God's grace, he delivered me from that. But I came out of that with a greater awareness of God's grace and my greater awareness of needing to be sympathetic to people who struggle with those areas in their lives. Why? Because the Apostle Paul says, right, or I think it was the Apostle Paul, but, but by the grace of God, there go I. Right? God opened my eyes to, boy, you, you know, are drugs bad? Yes. Not just illegal drugs. I mean, prescribed drugs. Is alcohol, can it be bad? Yes. When it's not used in the way that God wants it to be used. Right? But God was really exposing religion versus gospel in my life. So at your tables, there are two questions. Looking at the chart, what religious characteristics do you see in yourself? What are some areas up here, and I'm sorry it's so small, but what are some areas in here that you see in yourself? Primary message of religion, obedience, relationship with God, your view of self or your view of others. And number two, what characteristics of gospel-shaped life are most appealing to you? Take three or four minutes to discuss that around your table. Okay, hopefully you've had a chance to have some discussion around your table. The key thing that we want to remember is this. You don't ever move past the gospel. People say to me, you talk about the gospel all the time because you need to talk about the gospel all the time. The good news of Jesus and what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us because we're going to constantly want to run back to religion. We're constantly going to want to run back to what can I do Here's a good question for reflection. You don't have time to talk about it tonight at your tables. But if being a Christian is about not just believing in Jesus, but about rejoicing in his work, not just about going to church, but about finding your identity in being a beloved child of God, and not just about doing the right things, but about living from the overflow of joy in Jesus, would you say that you're a Christian tonight? Why or why not? Let me ask you that one more time. If being a Christian is about not just believing in Jesus, but about rejoicing in his work, not just about going to church, but about finding your identity and being a beloved child of God, and not just about doing the right things, but about living from the overflow of joy in Jesus, would you say that you are a Christian? It's a good question to ask. It's all about Jesus, friends. You and I were so bad, so sinful, so wretched that Jesus needed to die for us. But you are so loved by God that he would be willing to send his son so that you can be made right with him, that you can be known by him, and that you can live in joy in him. And that's what I hope in these next four weeks that, that we talk about the gospel is that the Holy Spirit just 
impresses upon your heart how much you are loved by God. Moving forward. Oh, I better shorten this, make that small. The fullness of the gospel. The first one is that we've been saved from the penalty of sin. Really important. Big step. But you can't stop there. Because it, the gospel also affects us today. That means we are being saved from the power of sin. If anyone only gives you this idea that the gospel is, uh, you just need to be saved from hell and pray the prayer so that you can go be in heaven with Jesus, right? Yes, there is that absolute necessity of being need, need to be saved from our sin. But then they, they go on and just say, well, just figure it out the rest of your life and just go and, and, and you'll, you'll... No. You guys, we have been saved from the power of sin. We're being saved from the power of sin. And we'll talk about that, what that means in just a moment. We're not going to have time to talk tonight a lot about we will be saved from the presence of sin. We'll talk about that more in the next coming weeks. So what is common in each of these statements? Help me understand what is common that you see in these statements. Saved? Good. Saved from what? Our sins and God's wrath, God's just wrath on our sins. Good. What else is common? Grayson? Yes, very good. Great. What else? Anything else in there that's common? Sin. Very good, David. Sin. We're saved from our sin, but guess what? You're still going to battle your sin. There's still today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. There's still the sinful flesh that wants to run away from God, that wants to live for ourselves, that wants to please ourselves. And there's that constant battle. Okay? So what is different in each of these statements? I think Grayson already referred to it. There's a past, there's a present, and there's a future reality to each of these statements anything else so let's talk about being saved from the penalty of sin okay bad news right you have to understand the bad news first before you understand the good news okay someone look up romans 3 9 and 10 and verse 20 someone else look up romans 3 21 through 25 Who has Romans 3, 9, and 10, and 20? Read it nice and loud for us. Okay? So everyone is under sin. Everyone. Nobody in this room can sit here and say, oh man, I'm not a sinner. I'm good. I'm in right standing with God. Everyone is under sin. There's none righteous. And then it goes on to say that none of us, by keeping the law, none of us, by keeping uh, God's commandments and doing, these, uh, doing what, what is right, can earn salvation. Okay? But what's the good news? Romans 3, 21 through 25. Go ahead, Victoria, nice and loud. Okay? So let's think about it in terms of a job. Okay? 
you go to stand before God and your resume, <laughs> what does your resume say all over it? Sin. Sinner. Condemned. If I put that resume in front of God, what's going to happen? I'm, you're fired. <laughs> Literally, you're fired in hell. That's right, right? Okay? But whose resume matters the most? Who is the perfect resume? Who was the perfect obedient sacrifice? Who shed his blood to take your place and my place? Who conquered sin and death? Jesus did. The only resume that you and I have any chance before our standing in God is Jesus' resume. Not ours. Right? Girls, you like diamonds, right? Thank you, Molly. Right? Okay? So when Brandon goes to get Molly her diamond, when he's going to get his engagement ring, I highly doubt that the jeweler would have grabbed the diamond and thrown the diamond on a white piece of cloth. Why would the jeweler put the diamond on a black piece of cloth? What? So it pops, right? If I put the diamond on a dark color, it shows the glory of what? The diamond. Right? And people will not understand the beauty of the good news of Jesus and salvation if you don't understand, first of all, the blackness, the darkness, the sin, and the wretchedness that lives inside of you and what Christ accomplished by going to the cross to save you. So you see this picture of the diamond against the black background, and when you see the picture of the diamond against the black background, you see the beauty of the diamond. You see the beauty of Christ. That he would take someone like Dave Wolf, and that he would make me his own. So we've been saved from the penalty of sin. And so here's the beauty of it, right? If I believe that, how does it practically work itself out in my life? There's a sheet that you each have gotten. On the one side of the sheet, it should say that you have nothing to prove. Okay? Nothing to prove. And so what I want you to do at your table real quick for the next minute or two. Kent, how long do we have? Okay. We're not going to get all done tonight, but that's okay. You need to come back again, and we'll finish it up. At your table, I want you to go ahead, and I want you to talk through nothing to prove. Read through the list and identify ways that you try to prove yourself to earn the acceptance of others, God, or even yourself. Okay? And then you're going to flip that over and you're going to read No Need to Pretend. Okay? You're going to go through those. Okay? All right. Read those together. So under the nothing to prove, talk at your tables, what would be one or two or maybe several of those that you struggle with in your life that you constantly wrestle with? Share that with your group. Okay, so in light of that question, or in light of the um, 
nothing to prove. I want you guys to discuss this question at your table. Listen really closely because I don't have it on the screen. What difference would it make in your life if you were absolutely convinced that God accepted you as you, uh, you as, just as you are, how would it impact your ability to love others? Okay, let me repeat that again. What difference would it make in your life if you were absolutely convinced that God accepted you just as you are, and how would it impact your ability to love others in light of these areas of trying to prove yourself? Go ahead and discuss that at your table. Okay, so for the last couple minutes here, the flip side of the flip side of needing to prove myself is to then pretend. Right? If 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 I can't prove myself, then I have to pretend. So if you look at that needing to pretend, you've got defending, which means I'm gonna defend myself when I'm criticized. Right? I had an incident this week. I drive bus for Eureka and I was driving a bus in one of the neighborhoods down in Goodfield and I'm going the speed limit, and this guy yells at me like, slow down, because I'm in this neighborhood, and he starts yelling at me. Well, then he goes and tells someone in our church that I was driving too fast. Well, then this guy texts me and says, hey, my neighbor tells me you're driving way too fast, right? And, and instead of just uh, entrusting myself to Jesus, what did I do? I defended myself. Immediately, I'm like, you know what? Let's get this guy in the bus with me. He can stand right next to me. He can look at the speedometer and see how fast I'm driving. Right? Preach it, man, right? Right? If he wants to drive the bus, you tell him to get in the bus. Right? And I got done with that. I'm like, why do I need to defend myself? Why? Right? And even if I was speeding, if I'm trusting in Christ for my identity and salvation and my hope, then I can easily say, you know what? I was wrong. Forgive me. And I will try not to do that again. Right? But I still wasn't speeding. Okay? <laughs> we fake. We try to be somebody we're not. We try to hide. I do my best to hide anything that would make others think less of me. Right? Right? It freaks my wife out whenever I tell people, like, you know what, 12 years ago I struggled with prescription drug uh, addiction. She's like, you can't tell people that. Yes, I can. I don't have to hide that. Why? Because Jesus Christ delivered me from that. Right? I'm not a perfect man. I never claimed to be a perfect man. Do I want to love and know Christ and obey Christ? Yes. Do I ever want to go through a time like that in my life ever again? No. But I'm not going to hide. We exaggerate. Anybody like to exaggerate? I went fishing and I caught a fish this big, right? Or I blame. We see it in the garden. God, the woman that you gave me, right? Adam blames God. Or we downplay it, right? Oh, I was just joking. Paul Tripp says, no, you weren't joking. Thanks for really telling me what was really on your mind, right? So when you think about areas of proving or pretending how could this area of struggle be altered if you believed that you were unconditionally accepted by God? I just gave you an example with the bus. If you believed the gospel that through faith you have been set free from the penalty of sin through the life and the death of Jesus Christ, how would that change how you pretend? Talk about that at your table real quick, and then we'll finish up. 
question is, how could this area of, of pretending be altered if you believe that you are unconditionally accepted by God and if you believe that the gospel through faith has set you free from the penalty of sin through the life and death of Jesus? <laughs> yes. Yes. Hold on. How could this area of struggle be altered if you believe that you were unconditionally accepted by God, if you believe that the gospel, that through faith that you have been set free from the penalty of sin. So how would that change? How, how, how do I need, how can I stop pretending if I really believed in, in who I am in Christ Jesus and what he's done for me? Make sense? Okay, so I want to honor our time want to wrap this up. We didn't get through everything tonight, but that's okay. We'll get through it. To sum it all up, here's the thing, right? You don't have to prove yourself to yourself. You don't have to prove yourself to others. The message of the gospel is that we have nothing to prove and no need to pretend, and we will pass the test of salvation because of who? Jesus. God has loved us at our very worst and all of our sin is forgiven because of Jesus. That is great news. Apart from Jesus, you are going to spend all of your life trying to prove yourself. Apart from Jesus, you're going to spend all of your life trying to pretend to be something that you're not. And Jesus came in perfect obedience and shed his blood and died and defeated that so that you and I don't ever have to prove ourselves and we don't ever have to pretend. You and I can come before him and say, you know what, I am a sinner. I am in desperate need of a Savior. I deserve death. I deserve your wrath. And Jesus, thank you for taking that for me. Thank you for forgiving every sin past, every sin present, and every sin that I will ever commit. Knowing that when you sin tomorrow, that God's love for you hasn't changed. <laughs> Why? Because of the degree of sin that you did? No. But because there's an amazing son that he desperately loves that he sent to die, and because you love the son, the father absolutely perfectly loves you. That is great news. And that's news that should be transforming. So when you walk the halls of your school tomorrow, you don't need to prove yourself. You don't need to pretend. You can be who God wants you to be, and we'll talk about that more next week in the power of the gospel to overcome sin and temptation and to live a life that is pleasing to God. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the good news of Jesus, that, Lord, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, but you made a way that we can have life. And, Lord, we should never stop talking about the gospel. Never. We should never stop talking about what Jesus Christ has done for us. We should never get tired of that. We should never get bored with that. We should never, Lord, roll our eyes at that. 
Lord, just being reminded this week that, Jesus, you were perfectly obedient on my behalf. Because, Lord, I am not always obedient. And I'm thankful that Jesus is my perfect obedience. Jesus is my perfect sacrifice. Jesus is my victory over sin and death. And that in Christ Jesus, I am your beloved son. And I pray that each of these young people and each of these adults sitting here would know that same love. That the king of the universe, the one who created them, who knit them in their mother's womb, who knows every single thing about them, every thought, every hair on their head, every cell in their body, knows them and loves them. And that, Lord, they would know that love for themselves. So I thank you for hype. Thank you for even next week when we come back and talk more about the gospel. I pray that we would be able to hear more stories this week of how your gospel has impacted each one here and reminding us that we've been saved from the penalty of sin and death. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. All right. Small groups. So parents, usually what we do, um, we usually have a lesson, then we go into small groups for some time, but tonight was interactive, so you were in your small groups, but small group leaders, I do want you to pray within your small groups um, for the next five, seven minutes. Go over Happy Crappies real quick, and then uh, have a couple students pray, and then as we wrap up, uh, we'll put tables away, and then you guys have free time until about 8.30, so Small groups, uh, go over those and spend five, seven minutes, and then we'll start putting tables away. Thank you. Thank you, Dave.